When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coffee and Cream on Hale Varsity Radio with Andrew Rogers and Damon Benning. Here's the 3-2. Line drive hit to deep left center field. Way back. This could go. It's gone. The Palatine Pounder comes through and the Cubs take the lead. A solo shot the other way. 3-2. Cubs over the Mets. Two balls and a strike on Waters. The pitch. Fastball hit high in the air, deep to right field. Verdugo's back onto the track at the fence. It's out of here. Drew Waters hits a two-run homer at Fenway Park. And the Royals extend their lead. It's 3-0 in the top of the fourth inning. Here's a swing and a drive. This is hit deep right center field. Friedel's on the run. Out of the warning track. Leaves. He can't get it. Jorge Soler has given the Marlins a 3-2 lead here in the top of the seventh inning. He's 3-for-3 three three out of the leadoff spot here tonight. Now the payoff. Swing on. There it goes. Oh, it's hit high. It is far. It is gone. Aaron Judge, he hit one about as high as he hit it far. A Judgean blast. Oh, baby, was it ever. Well, it's, it's Judgment Day. And all rise. Here comes the Judge oh. as he homers to deep left in the Yankees' lead, 7-1. Just understanding the standard, you know, <clears throat> as an offensive lineman, as a defensive lineman, right? You take care of the line of scrimmage, a lot of games are won. It, you know, people talk about that all the time, but just understand the standard, right? When you step on the field, our job is to help the whole team improve, right? When we do our jobs, 21 other guys get to improve. Hey, good morning. We are back live from the Pinnacle Bank Championship. I'm Andrew Rogers. Happy to have you with us on Coffee and Cream this morning here on Hale Varsity Radio, 590 ESPN Radio in town. We're live on Twitter, live on YouTube. You can get involved in the comment section of the YouTube page, or you can give us a call, 888-638-4876. Shane back at headquarters at the H&H Chevrolet stage, so he will take oh, your on, calls Shane. there. Oh, good morning to you, Shane. <laughs> Where's he at? I'm right here. Good morning. There he is. How are you? Good. How are you, man? Good. Thank you. Uh, great, um, relaxing Tuesday night in the Rogers household. Yeah. How about the Lula household for you? Yeah. What, what'd you What'd you do yesterday, Robbie? After the show? Uh, well, I went to my day job, so I worked. I forgot you do something <laughs> else. <laughs> so I worked, and then after work, didn't do anything. Just hung out at. A, what's your day job again? Uh, I uh, work in the financial sector. I investigate. That sounds I like. Investig- make sure you don't say that slowly. <laughs> I investigate uh, fraud. For wow! Life, so. All right, so yeah. I should not tell you what I've been up to. <laughs> um, no, probably not. Uh, so uh, okay, so you do your day job. What is what is that like hourly? 
Like you go there whenever you want and then no, you leave. So I work at... from home. Okay. So, uh, you know, kind of as long as I get my work done, it's, it's pretty flexible. Um, but no, yeah, I just went, uh, went home, worked a little bit and then, yeah, I just hang out with my, my dogs all day while I'm working. So it's always pretty chill. Yeah, that's, the not, that's not too shabby. Yeah. Um, yesterday I was, so I left the golf course. I, I went to one of your local hotspots. Um, <laughs> At least your everyday hotspot. <laughs> and then I uh, I snagged a quick bite to eat and went to the grocery store because I needed to get some Pam. Not Pan. Are you saying Pam or I'm Pan? I'm saying Pam. With an M? With an M. But I, can, I think I can shed some light on this whole Pam-Pan situation <laughs> here. So I, I go to the store to get that because I, I'm going to make fried chicken for the first time. Okay. Very first time. But I'm using the air fryer because I didn't want to deep fry it or, sure. you know, deal with the oil and splash. Yeah. Like, you know, it'll, it'll splash up on you. And yeah. then all of a sudden you'll have marks on your arms. Like, I feel like I have a little white spot on my arm. I don't know what that's from. But uh, I was uh, I was I was putting everything together and I'm like, am I doing this right? Because <laughs> I had so much flour. <laughs> so the, in a bowl, there were three cups of flour for five or six drumsticks. Okay. Like this seems like way too much. That seems aggressive. That seems and, high. and you know what? I, I just kept going with the recipe I found it online. Probably should have asked somebody that knew a lot more than me, but I, um, it's I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to attack it on my own. Well, I, uh, I made it in the air fryer, but my air fryer is so small. You can only fit two <laughs> chicken drumsticks <laughs> in there at one time. So it took me two and a half hours to make <laughs> six of them. <laughs> Because it's 30 minutes each, each set. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, well, does that math add up? No, it's like an hour and a half. Okay, um, there you go. But still. But prep time. And yeah. Stuff, oh, yeah. By, hours, by yeah. the time it was done. Because I marinated it in buttermilk. Okay. Um, then I seasoned it all up. Okay. Kept it non-spicy for the fiance. Okay. Uh, turned out okay. I, I bet. Here, you know what? What would you do I different next time? What would you do different Less next flour. Time? Less flour. Oh, okay. my gosh. It's, I threw away so much of that, yeah. of that flour. I'm yeah. like, what in the okay. – So the breading didn't stay all the way on in yeah. parts. So, so that's tough. I, yeah, I, I need to figure out how to keep that, but it tasted fine. Well, that's, that's And then bacon mac, some mashed potatoes. You're never gonna get me mad about bacon mac. Mm -hmm. I'm always on board for that. Nope. All of <laughs> all of that was in the microwave. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I I made this meal, and I normally after I I make food, mm -hmm. I feel like you did it, accomplished. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You really did something. Yeah. Here. This time I was like, oh, gosh, the cleanup sucked. The prep kind of sucked. This is why the I don't food cook. wasn't all the way there. Yeah. I don't know. Like I'm gonna attack it again though, because that's I'm a perfectionist. That's my personality. I'm yeah. I'm gonna want to make sure I can nail it, but I know I didn't. So I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to reach out to to some people that know more than me. Yeah, I that's why I don't cook. It's not worth it. Like the the prep, the time, the taste is usually not as good because I'm not good at cooking, right? So well, the I, only way to get good though is to do it. Yeah, or you just go out to eat and you don't <laughs> and, and you ever find somebody learn. that is good at cooking. Well, yeah. So my wife is a professional chef, so that's worth mentioning oh. here. Oh, uh, but brag. to be fair, chefs don't cook at home, like ever. I've never met a chef that cooks when they get home. 
Because they once they are done, they are Does done. she just bring some food home for you? Yeah, so she brings treats occasionally because she's a pastry chef now. She used to do savory stuff as well, but she does pastries now. So she'll bring some treats home and stuff, which is good. But that's not like a meal, right? Um, so, yeah, I just I go out to eat a lot. A lot. And, but you can do that and, af- and afford to do that because you don't have kids. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I I do spend an inordinate amount of money on dog food and which is fine. everything. Um, that lasts like months. It not when you've got four big ones. Oh, you have four <laughs> dogs. Never mind. I have four dogs that are seventy pounds or more each. Mm. So uh, I go through about six hundred dollars worth of dog food a month. That's a lot, man. It is. It's aggressive. I don't even go through seventy dollars <laughs> of dog food for my one seventy wow. sixty pound black lab. Yeah, because she only eats a cup a day. Yeah. Or no, I'm sorry two cups a day but you split it up yeah so one of them one of ours is pretty young he's like two or three so he still eats a lot um and then yeah you just have the four and we buy like fa- the fancy dog six hundred dollars holy cow yeah so it's it's aggressive yeah. plus we have one that's like real okay. picky so you have to mm-hmm. get like wet dog food to put on top of the dry dog food because <laughs> why don't you just put water on the dog food it doesn't he won't eat it really oh yeah he's so picky in unbelievably picky and if you get the he's like the kid that you always threaten to like leave like no don't make me trade you in for a better product no i love him he's the best but he is the finickiest eater even if you get the wrong wet dog food like right now and sometimes he changes his mind so right now we're on a chicken and venison wet food to put on top of his like. That sounds so gross. I mean, it's dog food. None of it's going to be good. Yeah, but it just sounds gross when you say wet food. But I got chicken mm. and beef on accident one time. Would not eat it. Really? Would not. He was just like, no, this is wrong. And I was like, oh, my bad, bud. Yeah. See, Molly isn't picky. She, I thought she was picky before, yeah. but I think she was just getting too much food. Mm. So when we took food away, then she became hungry sure. throughout the yeah. day. Well, actually, we used to just feed her once a day. Yeah. So it was two cups at 6 o'clock at night. Yeah. Well, then we realized that because she suffers from seizures. Oh, sure. Uh, then we realized that her glucose levels were, like, really plummeting throughout mm most of the day sure. and then would spike a ton After at ate. six o'clock yeah. and then start to level out again until it yeah. spikes a ton. And so we were wondering, like, gosh, she's on medication. She shouldn't be having seizures. Well, then she did have another seizure. Mm-hmm. And so we tried like a bunch of different ways to balance out her eating. And thank goodness, nothing's happened, yeah. happened since. But, you know, until – until you kind of do something, until you learn something, yeah. it you never really, never really know, right? Because everybody learns by failure. I mean, we hear it with fall camp. I feel like every, yeah. somebody says that once a day. Sure. Like, oh, until yeah. you fail, you're not going to be successful. You have to earn, you know, whatever it is. Um, but in this case, it's just I, until I actually fail at something, I won't know it. Like, I can read something, but I don't digest it. Like I do if I fail in sure. something. There's no yeah, failure but, uh, in sports. Plus it sticks a little bit better there. Um, yeah, so my, my dog used to just graze all day. You know, I just have the food out. And they like eat cows? Kinda, yeah. They would just eat however they, whenever they felt like. But how does, how does one not eat the other's dog food? Well, it was like communal. So everybody just had enough and they were eating. But one of them was getting a little chunky. So we had to put him on a diet. So we had to schedule the eating for everybody else. And the other dogs were not super thrilled about that. But. We figured it out. Communal food. Yeah. 
we just well you know because they have their own room and everything so they just kind of have their own space and they get their food it's like you do with water they don't like fight over the water if they always know food's gonna be there okay they don't really get territorial over okay it because it's just like oh that's just a thing that's always here i don't it's not a precious resource right so they're all just like cool and they just kind of nibble when they're hungry and not anymore though yeah had to put shadow on a diet so <laughs> damn it shadow <laughs> uh okay so did you happen because we we talked about yesterday in the sports six pack i go i can't wait to go home and watch this really couldn't wait to go home and watch suits and i did watch suits watch last suits? night okay but what else i something else i watched was the first episode of the look n yeah uh, so nebraska football's newest 30-minute television series. I'm assuming they're all going to be about 30 minutes I long. I would guess, yeah. When you were watching it, yeah. did you think – okay, let, all right, You tell me first. How did you think everything – like, what did it remind you of? The The way that it was filmed, the way that uh, the people were portrayed in this little episode, like, did it remind you of any, like – sort of show like the same idea it kind of reminded me of those like all the mockumentary shows like the office and parks and rec and things (laughs) like that where it's like like the people know they're being followed but they don't really always acknowledge it and i think one of i think uh isaac gifford maybe said something he's like yeah i saw the first episode and i realized there was a camera on me a lot more than i thought yeah sanford (laughs) oh yesterday uh, yeah uh phelan sanford yeah and so uh, that's kind of the vibe I got was one of those. So it's funny you say that like documentary shows. Yeah. I thought instantly this is just like The Office. Yeah. The way the camera's moving. Yeah. The, the variety of shots that are being used. The different so-called. Well, it's um, like the single sets, camera. Yeah. Right. The single camera view. But it it was more than just The Office for me. It also reminded me of Project X. Okay. Do you remember how that film was put together. I don't think I've like, seen Project X. Oh, uh, so it was basically some guy walking around with a camcorder. Yeah, and which is what and, this and is. A lot, a yeah. lot of points of those in those scenes. And then there was another movie. I think it was called The Visit, where like two kids go visit their grandparents, but it ends up not being their grandparents. Okay. Um, same type of idea. They're on this little, I don't know, camcorder. And so I'm watching this, and I'm like, why am I so entertained? Like, what about this? makes me so entertained right now and i think it's because the way it was filmed Mm -hmm. drew my interest because it was like something else i like Mm, sure so i like watching the office i liked parks and rec it felt familiar yes and so when i'm watching it though it didn't it didn't it didn't strike me as hey i'm watching a documentary it struck me as if i was watching a tv show or a movie and i think that was just so well put together because even if i'm not a sports fan if a sports fan's mind yeah went that direction before it went to the sports think about how many people like this could appeal to sure well for me it was just you know we're it's august what is it ninth Mm -hmm. i'm I'm just so hungry for football content at this point. Well, if you have community food, you wouldn't <laughs> you wouldn't be super hungry. We don't have community football food right now. <laughs> I'm waiting for it. Um, no, it, it's one of those things where I'm just so desperate for football content that I'll watch almost anything at this point. You know, it's the only reason, in my opinion, people watch Hard Knocks at all because I don't find it terribly interesting most of the time. It's so edited down and everything, but 
you're just wait, mm-hmm. you're getting so close to football and you just want anything football related. That's true. And plus, the thing for me with Matt Rule is I'm just curious about what it looks like, right? Because we're we've gotten little bits and pieces just from his public appearances and things like that. This feels like a little behind the scenes sneak of sneak peek of what um, kind of happens behind closed doors that we don't normally get to see. And so there's a curiosity there just because of the Matt Rule factor of it all. But I'd probably watch one of these every year because at by August, you just want You're football. You're itching for it. Right? And so I get that you don't actually get any real football during the, you know, you get a couple scenes maybe of, of guys practicing. But it's just the fact that, like, okay, mm-hmm. this is the team. This is, you know, these are our guys. We're it, it just feels like you're getting closer while you're watching. Are you a fantasy football player or no? Yeah, I do fantasy football. So does that help you at all throughout the month of August? You know, preparing for a fantasy football draft, you're doing a ton of research, and so, you're, you're just trying to get to that point of, okay, it's week one of the NFL season. Not really. Um, I, I like. I think it's a visual thing. Like, I like watching. Mm. Um, like, this is about the time of year that I'll start watching games from last year. Like, I've started watching – some South Carolina games from last year to get kind of a feel for what Market Satterfield was doing. I've started to watch some Syracuse games from last year to see what Tony White was doing. I have no interest in watching Nebraska games from last year because, A, I don't think we'll learn anything, and, B, that was just painful, right? <laughs> um, you know, maybe I'll watch Georgia, Georgia Southern? I do not remember. Are you sure? Uh, I did post-game for Georgia Southern, and it was ugly. Oh, um, really? Yeah. I'm shocked. It was, <laughs> well, it was kind of funny, though, because I got a text about halfway through the show. I was like, yeah, Frost is going to be fired tomorrow. And I was like, oh, okay. Because uh, <laughs> at the time, everybody was like, oh, it's going to be after Oklahoma or whatever the buyout dropped, right? And then, yeah, I get this text. It's like, yeah, it's happening like in 12 yeah, hours. Yeah. I was like, oh, cool. That's um, what happens when you have some boosters on hand. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, Instant funding. But it was, uh, no, it's it's one of those things where this is, yeah, this is where I start rewatching games um, and I start, you know, so something like this is kind of a breath of fresh air to give me a little little Nebraska football content before the games get here. And I thought the episode was uh, just really fun in, in its entirety because you got to watch bits and pieces of practice. You got to see what the dorm life was actually so like. So I have a question about dorm life here. Go ahead. Did it seem like some of those guys were moving in for the year? Some of those <laughs> dudes brought so much stuff. Well, you're there for a month. No, I think they're only there for two weeks. I think they're they're moving out after. Oh, the you're first right. Two weeks. So, okay, yeah. So you're right. So you're there for two weeks, but you also want to like live comfortably while you're there. I get that. So like but... having like the box fan was important. Having the uh, the certain like I don't know if it's like a mattress pad or a blanket, like you know, to make you like feel like that you're still in your own bed when you're I not. I get that, but some th- these guys were looking like they just like they were living there permanently. What is happening? Here? Yeah. I didn't really look too much into that it's because it is a dorm room at the end of the day. First thing I noticed, I was like, these guys are bringing so much stuff. <laughs> but, um, you know, I felt most captivated at the end of the episode when John Cook yeah. was speaking. Yeah, that was really good. Was I really thought good. it was really cool to see him talk to this team and Coach Rule like, acknowledge that, hey, there are plenty of current winners at this university Mm -hmm. and it starts right now with john cook and it can be you very soon but i also liked how john cook was you know he was mr football for his entire life before yeah he graduated and then was forced to you know pick up a teaching job and then he just happened to coach women's sports volleyball in particular and and there he goes right but i 
I liked the question that he presented to the team, and it was, are you willing to bet on yourself? Yeah. And that's, I think, everything that I took home from this little episode is really, because it is episode one, mm-hmm. and it's the beginning of everything. Mm-hmm. Is this team willing to bet on themselves this year? Are you willing to bet that you'll be a good football team, that you will operate the right way, the way that it's being taught to you? Will you stand for one another? Are you going to be with your brother through thick and thin? Are you going to, you know, if if one person's down, are you going to help pick them back up? Mm -hmm. Like, is that the chemistry that you guys are not only just building right now, but are going to like keep with you as you go throughout the season. There's so much that can branch off on. Are you willing to bet on yourself? Yeah. That I just think would really resonate with this team in the position they're in today. Yeah. So the interesting thing about the, that part, cause I kind of got hooked on that part as well with the, are you willing to bet on yourself was it kind of got me thinking of the types of people that bet on themselves. Right. And there's, in my mind, basically two types of people. There's the irrationally confident people who will bet on themselves no matter mm-hmm. what and often in situations where they probably shouldn't. And then there's the people who are betting on themselves because they know they're prepared. And so I think, A, I think it's good to have a handful of irrationally confident people because that's what makes you believe you can do things that you probably shouldn't believe you can do. But you need the core of your team to be willing to bet on themselves because they're ready for it. They've prepared for it. And that's where the confidence comes from. Most people aren't willing to bet on themselves until they've got the confidence to do so. And that confidence comes from preparation. Mm -hmm. I think that is kind of the root of what you're getting to there because, and what John Cook was getting to, because that's what Matt rule has been talking about constantly is getting prepared, earning the right to practice the next day, earning the right, to play Minnesota, play Minnesota, earning the right to win football games, earning the right to wear the Nebraska helmet, all of these things. And the way you do that is through preparation. And if you put that preparation in, if you earn the right to do all those things, then you're in a position where you will be confident enough to bet on yourself. And so it's the next logical step. The betting on yourself is the next logical step to all of this stuff that Matt Rule's been talking about. And Matt Rule's kind of, shown it as well right he's probably could have waited for an easier job when Baylor came up when he was at Temple maybe it wouldn't have been as high profile in terms of major conference but there were easier jobs out there than Baylor football when he took over when he's coming back from the NFL this year there were some SEC teams that wanted him there were some other teams around the country that were interested there's probably easier jobs out there right now than Nebraska taking over where he's at but he's confident because of the preparation he's put mm-hmm. in and he's betting on himself he's already shown hey if you bet on yourself and you're prepared you can achieve and have and, and get the results that you want he's just trying to instill that from what he's done in his life into his players now and john cook i think exemplified that uh really really well and you know this is this thing that matt rule keeps saying they just want to be around winners they just want to see the mentality of winners. They want to see how those people operate. I mean, nobody wins at Nebraska more than John Cook. So that's a good place to start. So uh, another thing that uh, we'll get into, and um, I'll hold off on the majority of this for when we come back from break, but when we were, or when I was out at the bachelor party over the weekend, 
we kind of got into a, a little back and forth. People were asking me questions about Coach Rule, and the the big question that they presented was, how long is he going to stay? So we'll talk about that when we come back and, and my response to them. We'll also chat with Ryan Christofferson at 8 o'clock today. We have Kevin Suits at 8.30 and uh, a familiar name, Damon Benning. He'll be on the phone at 9 o'clock. We will get his thoughts on high school camp that's going on right now, fall camp over at Nebraska, conference realignment, just a lot of stuff that uh, he can uh, he can get to. He's a smorgasbord, a charcuterie board, <laughs> if you will. Uh, we'll take a short break. More CNC next. Coffee and cream with Rodgers and Benning on Hale Varsity Radio. We didn't really have a creative staff in football. Jay Litt's a student here in Nebraska. He's unbelievable. Like, I've never been around somebody like that. I trust him I trust him implicitly. Like, if you guys know me, I'm like, hey, I want to know what the show's about. I want to know this. Jay Litt, I said, do your thing, bro. Like, he, he knows he knows what we're trying to get done. Uh, Mike Wallace kind of is like the – so Mike Wallace and CJ and Jay Litt, they came up with the idea – uh, they executed it. They ran with it. And I thought it was great. You know, I thought it was fun. And, you know, th- this next episode, I'm sure they'll even have more behind the scenes uh, stuff. So we have to, you know, balance making sure the kids feel comfortable. Our men feel comfortable. Like, hey, we're not giving away, you know, making them look bad. But there's a lot of good things happening. I want our fans to be a part of it. So this, I thought the show was cool. Hey, welcome back. Before we get into it, Sunday, August 13th, 7 p.m. Central on Nebraska Public Media and Facebook Live. It's in the Deed the Glory Memorial Stadium, and it is something you don't want to miss. It's Nebraska Public Media's newest local sports doc following the evolution of the stadium. You have interviews with T.O., Eric Crouch, Trev Alberts, Mike Babcock, Damon Benning is narrating the piece and reveals little known and lost to history facts such as the underground indoor track, which Robbie and I uh, found out yesterday, and a partial South Stadium collapse in the 90s. So make sure you check that out August 13th, 7 p.m. on Nebraska Public Media. Over the weekend, Robbie, I was asked, how long is Matt Rule going to be at Nebraska? And, you know, I'm I'm quick to defend Coach Rule right now because I think I have a good gauge on it. Mm-hmm. He's not going anywhere anytime soon, and there's a couple of reasons for it. One, I feel like he tried and failed enough to know where he wants to be. So he he was at Temple, and he, and he went up the ladder, and I used kind of this analogy way back when. When he was at Temple, you know, he was driving, right? But then when he stopped for gas, it was kind of like a, okay, now I'm going to stop at Baylor. And now I'm going to drive a little bit. And then I need gas again. So I'm going to stop it in Carolina. And so, like, he was stopping at so many different points to where it was like he was always trying to get somewhere, be be somebody different or or be somebody new. Mm -hmm. And he was reaching his goal. Everybody wants to be an NFL head coach. If you're a a football coach, the dream is to be an NFL head coach someday. Everybody. Well, then it didn't work out the way he thought it would. Yeah. Or that he wanted it to. Yeah. So when he comes to Nebraska now and he signs a massive deal, a long-term contract, mm-hmm. that's reason number one why I am 95% sure that he's not going anywhere anytime soon in regards to f- finishing out his contract and maybe staying here even longer than people think if and when he's successful. The second point to all of that is you see what's happening with conference realignment right now. Mm -hmm. You see how all the teams are starting to either come into the big 10, the sec, or, you know, we'll get into the ACC stuff uh, a little bit more today because uh, of the news with SMU. 
But you see how everything's going in college football and how the Big Ten is becoming this premier conference. He's not going to want to go anywhere if he's getting, for one, the support from the school. Two, he's successful at the university. Mm -hmm. And three, uh, guys, he really likes the town of Lincoln. He really just likes being here. And he likes having his kids um, a, a part of the Lincoln school system or the Omaha school system. He likes having that option for his family. He moved here for his family. He didn't move here just to coach. He talks about it a lot. Mm-hmm. He could be on his couch right now. He'd be making just as much money as an analyst on TV. Yeah. He could do all of that stuff, but no, he chose to he chose to coach football again right away. He wants to be here. And so that's the point that I push across with everybody is you Look, it's easy to say, yeah, he's jumped around from spot to spot, but he also reached his peak, and now he's coming back down to, or he's if if you say he didn't reach his peak, say there's a, t- a, a you know a, a peak a little bit further up where like that's ultimately where he knows he can be, he wants to be, that's where he is today. Yeah, so I think the Carolina experience for Matt Rule gave him really good perspective on who he wants to be in this profession. And, you know, it's not just because he wasn't successful, but I think he wasn't successful because what he enjoys and is good at isn't necessarily what the NFL values as a head coach or needs as a head coach, right? I think he realized he's more teacher than he is coach. He's more leader than he is coach. Does Is he good at the football stuff? Obviously, you don't get to this point in your career without being good at the football stuff. But I think his skill set is uniquely suited to young people in this point of their lives. And I think he realized that when he went to Carolina, that it was just a different thing. The things that he cares about, the things that he likes teaching, the way that well, he, he doesn't likes, like letting guys go. And the thing, the way that he likes to lead is just a better fit for the college game. And that's not an insult. I mean, the same thing can be said about Nick Saban, right? Like Nick Saban did the NFL thing, came back, it didn't work. He's the greatest college coach of all time. Like it's a lot of really successful college coaches. Their skills are uniquely suited to coaching college. That doesn't mean they couldn't coach in the NFL in the right position, the right situation. But, and if, if Matt rule is successful at Nebraska, he may get a call again about the NFL. But I think what he realized about himself was more important than what other opportunities may come down the line. And when you take the NFL off the table, which I think we can, I don't know that there's other college jobs that would necessarily appeal to him in a way that would take him away from Nebraska. The one that everybody would be worried about, obviously, is Penn State, um, obviously where he went to school and everything. But James Franklin's not going anywhere. <laughs> I mean, he keeps signing extensions. He's he's there for the long and term. he's successful there. Yeah, and he's successful there. He's there for the long term. So, I mean, maybe you're talking about Several years down the line, if James, but Franklin how much is how much NFL, is Penn State but... an upgrade if Nebraska is good again? Well, that's the thing. If you get Nebraska rolling, which is that's the whole presumption here, right? Because obviously, if he doesn't win at Nebraska, he's not going to be here very mm-hmm. long. That's just how it works. But assuming that they get to a certain level of winning again, even if it's you know consistently eight nine games a year. Yeah, it, it, I don't know how much better of a job Penn State is than Nebraska. You know, people say Lincoln's hard to get to. Try getting to Happy Valley. <laughs> like, that place is a, is a, I believe, multiple-hour drive mm-hmm. from the nearest airport. 
worst case scenario, Lincoln is 45 minutes from Omaha. And there's flights that go into more flights that go into Lincoln now than there used to be. So, you know, th- that's the one job that I think people would be concerned about if if he's successful here is him leaving for Penn State. And I've also never heard him, though, ever yeah. say once that he wants to coach at his alma mater. Right. That's just the one people naturally think. Mm-hmm. You go, oh, I want to go. And, you know, maybe being at Nebraska, he sees the the pitfalls of being at your alma mater by the guy who, that he succeeded here, right? I mean, it's not always sunshine and rainbows when you go back to take over your alma mater. Sometimes it's really difficult, and it puts a, an amount of pressure on you that, you know, it's a, it's a hard enough job already. Mm-hmm. You don't need the extra stuff. And, you know, it, it's... It's not like, you know, he's from New York originally. He ended up moving to Pennsylvania uh, during his youth. Like, it's not like he was born and raised in Pennsylvania. It's not like he grew up in Happy Valley necessarily. And so, you know, it's, it's a little bit different. I just, if I had to bet on it, I would say he's here for the long haul. Well, and Coach Rule's all about Nebraska nice. He's all about his family and, sure. and being in a, in a place that, uh, you know, people treat you with a lot of respect. Yeah. You don't get that too often up in the Northeast. Um, and I, I know that a little bit, different not only from experience, yeah. but even when talking to Tony White in the off season, I, I asked him about, you know, what, what's your big, like, what's the thing you notice most about changing from Syracuse to, mm-hmm. to Lincoln. And he's like, the first thing out of his mouth was the people are much nicer. <laughs> right. So people just like, to, you like to feel good and you also like to be respected. Sure. And you, you just like when people talk to you, in a nice tone versus like, Hey, I'm always out to get you. Also. And like, so, uh, you know, I, also, I think about that too, from like the family approach, the family point of view. Yeah. If you, if you're a Nebraska coach and you're winning here, it's hard to find a better place to be, you know, like, yes, if you with better tradition with, with whatever, I, just mean a I better, don't know if you can, I just mean a better lifestyle. Like if you're winning here, the life that you get to lead is pretty great. Same thing if you're a player. And then right? when you're done, it's you're almost even greater. Yeah, you're a legend forever because you can't do anything wrong at that point. Like once you retire, like this is a really good place that if you can get it going, it's really, really nice to be here. No uh, doubt to me about that. Obviously, the last few <laughs> coaches haven't had that. Um, but if you kind of ingratiate yourself with the community the way he has. And again, the X factor here is, is wins. If he doesn't get wins, it doesn't matter how long he wants to be here. He's only going to be here for a certain amount of time. If he doesn't get wins, yeah, it becomes a much less, I don't want to say hospitable, because people aren't going to be outwardly mean if they see Matt Rule on the street, right? I don't think, not most people, but it's a really great place to be and live if you can get this thing going at all. Now, I, I teased that we would get into realignment chatter. Let's do that next because there's something on my mind that I want to get to. Um, and I also would like to share a couple of these athlete diaries that I've uh, compiled. But something you said yesterday that really piqued my interest. You said you believe the ACC is in a better place right now than the Big 12. I want to know your reasoning yeah. for that when we come back. Stick around. More CNC after the break. Coffee and cream with Rogers and Benning on Hale Varsity Radio. We're kind of just taking it day by day. We know we have to show up every day, uh, not take any days off. So it's taking it one step at a time. I believe they call that common language, Robbie. 
Jalen Sanford. They love common language. Um, I Have we heard day by day yet this year? <laughs> not, not too sure. Welcome got, back. Got to earn the right. Coffee and cream in the morning on ESPN Radio alongside Robbie Lula, Andrew Rogers, live from the Pinnacle Bank Championship uh, at the club at Indian Creek. We are happy to have you with us. Um, you know, going into the break, I, I had mentioned that last night you had texted me and yeah. you said, I think the ACC is in a better spot than the Big 12. And, you know, before we, you know, even get too deep into this, I, I thought it was interesting because I'm like, okay, if Ravi thinks the ACC is better, I'm going to have to come up with some counterpoint to why the Big 12 is better. So I'm, this is what I think about at home sure. after I get asked a question, yeah. how, how I can be argumentative, <laughs> how, how I can be confrontational. Sure. But you know what? I, I, I also, I sat back a few seconds later and said, I'm going to let Robbie go and, and then I'm going to see where his mind takes me because I don't, I don't know if I even have a good take on who out of these two conferences are in the better position right now. Yeah. So to be clear, I don't know that either of them are in a great position. Um, okay. Well, this will, this will help my, I don't, <laughs> my rebuttal. I, I'm not sure that I necessarily buy into two conference only model that some people are, are talking about where it's just the the big 10 and the sec and each of them have 28 teams or whatever the number is because there's i mean i think there's going to be a third league it's obviously going to be a step down from the other two but there's enough other power five teams and like borderline power five teams like for example in the you know the big 12s brought in like ucf and cincinnati mm -hmm. and and ACC's talking to SMU, these teams that haven't been Power Five teams necessarily, but are kind of on that cusp right there. You know, Utah long ago was not a, not that long ago was not a Power Five team. Now they're one of the better teams coming over from the Pac-12, right? So I think there's enough of those teams that you're going to need a third conference that's still technically a major conference, but obviously a step below the Big Ten and, and the SEC. The reason that I think the ACC is in a better spot is when you're looking at these teams, right? I'm looking at the Big 12. It's like a solid B league. And you're just talking about football, right? Yes, football. Okay. Only. We're only talking about college football. Okay, because I this, this basketball is a totally different I, I was going to say they're yeah. a different animal. I still I mean the ACC is probably better than the Big 12 in basketball too, but really? Well, I mean, you've got your historical powers or your well, yeah, I mean, I know your Duke. You but today Virginia. I I I would lean Big 12 as the premier basketball conference, especially now with the addition of Arizona. Yeah, I mean, Arizona's a nice a addition there. Obviously, you've got Baylor and Kansas. And I'm not knocking the ACC, but I think the ACC could match up, like, think, you know, in line with the SEC here. So there's, we're talking about two things here. We're talking about currently where they're at and also brand names because that those are the brand names are almost more powerful mm -hmm. than your current success in the conference realignment right. conversation. Right. So I'm looking at college football only, though. The brand names the big 12 just really doesn't have them. I mean, they've got a lot of solid B brands, you know, your Kansas States, your Oklahoma mm -hmm. States, your Texas techs, your Baylor's, your BYU's, your Arizona, Arizona States, Utah. Those are all really solid brands. None of those are mm -hmm. powerhouses or blue bloods. I can understand that for right? football. So for football, they're about the only, I mean, out of the four conferences left, because RIP pack 12, mm -hmm. they're the only conference that doesn't have, blue bloods in their conference as it currently sits now that's one factor the other fact and, and you can just look at teams that have won national titles in their conference right 
The only ones in what will be the conference next year are BYU in 84 and Colorado in 90. And I believe that was a split. So you're talking about over 30 years ago and one-offs for both of those teams. Mm -hmm. So kind of aberrations. You go to the ACC. You've got Florida State, Clemson, Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina is a name brand. Duke is not in this for football, eh, but I can you're tickling me. All right. (laughs) And then you've got Miami, which is a huge brand. Mm -hmm. Multiple. That's a name brand. National multiple national titles. You've got teams that you would consider powerhouse blue blood, multiple national title winners. And here's the wild card with the ACC, too. Everybody assumes that when the day comes that Notre Dame has to join a conference, it'll be the Big Ten. Well, they already have like partial membership into the ACC. Now, all of a sudden, let's pretend that Notre Dame says, you know what? We're throwing our hat in with the ACC because we're already comfortable there. We already play a four or five game football schedule with them anyway. Then all of a sudden you've got Clemson, Florida State, Miami, Notre Dame. Those are four of the biggest brands in college football. You can put that up against Nebraska, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State in the Big Ten. You can put that up against Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Florida in the SEC. Your top four are about as good as anybody's if you can convince Notre Dame to become a full right. member. I'm with you with the brand name recognition. It makes a lot of sense that the Big 12 has taken a step back because they don't they have it as much. Your Texas. But I will say this. Oklahoma. The Big 12 does seem, even though they lost Oklahoma and Texas, that they still have their uh, their ducks in a row. They still have their, their ish figured out. Listen, they did an incredible job of pivoting and keeping the conference alive in the way that obviously the Pac-12 couldn't. Because and basketball, I really believe, was a huge piece of that. Not that long ago, we were talking about the Big 12 about to go extinct the same way that we're talking about the Pac-12 currently going extinct. Right. So they've done an incredible job to salvage that, both with some non-name brand borderline group of five schools like your UCFs, your Cincy's, your BYU's. Right. And waiting it out and surviving where the Pac-12's leadership couldn't. And then they got to obviously get the bounty of Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State. And, and ultimately, Utah. it was leadership that destroyed the Pac-12. And it wasn't just Absolutely. the current commissioner. It was the previous commissioner that didn't set up the, the, the conference at all in a good light. But, you the know, Pac-12 has been poorly run for years. I mean, this is not leader. You don't have a TV contract after this in season. line. Yeah, like that's that's priority number one as a commissioner of a conference you have to have financial funding for your team it's almost the only thing a commissioner does that matters really it is long term and if you have a big one that's why kevin warren is like giving get getting thumbs up from people yeah because he did his job he may not have done it the way you wanted him to but he still did what he was supposed to do and listen he handled some things poorly obviously with the COVID stuff, that was a really... And who didn't? Right. Like, it's not like he had a playbook on how the proper way to handle it, right? So I, I give him a little bit of pass on there because, A, he was new on the job, and B, it was kind of an unprecedented situation. But when it mattered, what did he do? He got USC and UCLA in the conference, and he nailed the TV rights deal. That was his job, and he crushed it, okay? And now he's And he did that in how many years? Like, oh, yeah, three, three. basically. And so and one didn't count because we're counting COVID. Right. So he he got the job done that he was hired to do. Right. And then he gets Mm -hmm. because of that, he gets to move on and have a a different high profile job. The Pac-12's leadership failed them 
year after year after year. This is going back probably more than a decade at this point when the regional TV networks and the, the Pac-12 network never really got off the ground the way the Big Ten network did and all this kind of stuff, right? Well, also, it doesn't help that your games kick off at 930, 10 o'clock, right. sometimes 11 o'clock at night, and I mean, you're expecting people to watch. And like <laughs> in the Midwest or the East Coast, I'm sorry, even the, the biggest of college football fans aren't watching you. I mean, there are there is a, a a little sicko committee of the Pac-12 after dark stands, but you're right for the most part. I mean, what eighty percent of the country's population is east of Lincoln, Nebraska, basically. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about two time zones past that, where you know a lot of people only watch their own team anyway, and the people that are real hardcore college football fans, they really kind of stick to the main big games, and those are mostly on by prime time in their local region. And anytime there's a good Pac-12 game on, it gets moved to prime time. But then the rest of your conference gets left behind, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a lot of factors for why the Pac-12 ended up failing where the Big 12 didn't. But moving forward, I think the Big 12 is in a tough spot because they don't have anywhere else to go from here. They This was kind of their big move. The rating the Pac-12 was their big move. SMU is kind of a, I mean, that the ACC is talking about SMU. Maybe the Big 12 could bring them in, but that's not a big fish, I don't think. Um, if they really wanted to go and try and get Stanford and Cal, I don't know how much that moves the needle uh, for the Big 12 or the ACC for that matter. But what you're really looking at is the ACC has a little bit of a runway with this grant of rights deal if Florida State can't figure out a way to break it in the next six months or whatever. They've got a little bit of runway to... A, try and convince Notre Dame to come into the conference. And B, try and get some of the other programs that are their B-level programs, their Virginia Techs, their Virginias, their North Carolinas, up to an A-level. So that when you look at that conference, you say, ah, man, that's pretty good top to bottom. I got my four marquee teams, my four Blue Bloods, and then our B-level is pretty good too. Because that's what the Big Ten and the SEC offer right now. Is you've got your, your, your stalwarts, your anchors. And then after that, you've got a really solid B-level. Because right now, your B-level, in terms of brand, your Iowa, your Wisconsin, those types of teams, those are really, really strong. Probably, I think the B-level of the Big Ten is stronger than the B-level of the SEC. Now, obviously, the SEC at the very top is winning the national title, so that matters. Mm-hmm. But that second division of the Big Ten is stronger than the SEC, brand-wise, in my opinion. Because, like, the Mississippi states of the world, I don't think, have the same type of football brand outside of their own little community that a Wisconsin or an Iowa or a Michigan state does. So if you can get that type of level when you're the ACC, you're still going to be a step behind those other two conferences, but I still think you're in a way better spot than the Big 12. And quick side note, SMU in the mix right now with the ACC, that's the exact type of team I was talking about yesterday that the ACC needs to add as filler time. It's a good, small private school with a lot of money. Yeah, a lot of money. And uh, it it is relatively close to the rest of the ACC teams. Yeah, it just it, it doesn't move. And it's a big meet. area. I mean, you're in Dallas. Yeah, I, I don't think that SMU gets you Dallas, but it's not a bad move for them. Well, at least right now, like I said, it's that filler. It's yeah. the foundation that you pour. We'll talk to Brian Christofferson next. 
Coffee and Cream with Rogers and Benning on Hale Varsity Radio. Here is Husker 24-7 senior writer, Brian Christofferson. Yeah, it'll, it'll be a little bit of a circus act. Brian Christofferson. Well, I mean, that's that's pretty interesting. Brian Christofferson. <laughs> I, I kind of enjoy that. Here is Brian Christofferson. Our women's soccer team is like, you know, like we, we have that Olympic day that we did, and they're all out there supporting us. They're doing it with us. You see them in the halls all the time. So, you know, I was walking one day and I asked them when their first game was because they're, they're in preseason too, right? And so they told me it was tonight. So um, I thought my daughters would be here. I was excited to take them. They're not here yet. So uh, we're going to take the team. And, um, you know, like we had Coach Cook come talk to the team, right? Like we, we just want to be around winning, and we want to be we – we want to go watch the girls win tonight. So hopefully they play a great game. Hey, top of the hour on Coffee and Cream alongside Robbie Lula, Andrew Rogers. We are out at the Pinnacle Bank Championship live from the club over at Indian Creek. Happy to have you with us. Uh, 590 ESPN Radio. We're live on Twitter, live on YouTube. The YouTube chat room is open for comments. We also will take calls, 888-638-4876. But we won't this segment because we are talking to Brian Christofferson, one of my favorite senior writer for Husker 24-7 at Husker 24-7 BC on Twitter. Brian Christofferson, good morning. Good morning. Nice background, guys. Hey, you know what? This one actually isn't a green screen either. It's real. <laughs> we are actually doing something for real for once. I know it's, it comes as a shock to you, BC, but I wish I was playing right now and not talking, but I'll leave it up to the pros. They're practicing putts back there. I should also probably lower my voice because if we're talking in proper golf terms, we should we should be you know, respectful of the course and the conditions and the players. Getting and Andy like North that. game, right? Yeah, yeah some, <laughs> something similar. BC can yell while we whisper. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, BC, you've been at fall camp for the last week and a half. I've heard you asking questions over the course of this week too, uh, but just in particular to yesterday because we got to hear from Donnie Rayola. We got to hear from Coach Rule again. Um, the coaches I find to get, you know, more information out of than the players, but it does seem like you can learn something from the players and how much they talk like their position and coaches and their head coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, but aside from those two things, uh, you heard Donovan Rayola talking about the O-line. You heard Matt Rule mentioning how he likes to have seven, like that would be a good number for them, seven offensive linemen. And then, you know, every other young offensive lineman is just a bonus for them. How notable is it, is that number, that number seven, or or even just how notable is it that they're talking about having seven really good offensive linemen right now? Well, I said, uh, I tweeted out a story link to that last uh, night, and I said notable, and part of the reason I, I did that is I can remember um, not too long ago when Mike Cavanaugh was the O-line coach here uh, during the Riley era, and he was playing only five guys. And uh, which a lot of people do, actually. And uh, the late, great Milt Teneper even defended him on that. But I remember every practice, it was like a topic with Mike Cavanaugh. Like, what about a rotation? Why in the old days, they used to play 10 guys and this and that. And so there was this debate around Nebraska all through August, September or whatever about uh, what's the proper number of linemen that should be in your rotation. And everybody had a big take on it. So that it was sort of aimed at that audience that can remember that stuff. Um, but it is interesting to hear the philosophy on every staff on, you know, what constitutes security as far as how you feel about yourself in the trenches. And he gave you the number basically on that. It's, uh, you know, if I, if I have a, a rotating seven, 
seven and maybe rotating is even the wrong word, but just seven guys you feel good about. Maybe they're going to use five guys almost all the time, but there's two guys on the side that you believe in. Mm -hmm. Um, That's uh, that, that, that was interesting to me. But then, you know, the other thing that popped up was the, the names he mentioned. And some of them are first year guys that are, maybe they can be those nine, 10 guys as he was talking. And that's your Sam sledges, your, uh, Gunner Gatula's. You have to be a guy with alliteration in your name, apparently. Um, to uh, Justin Evan Jenkins. Yeah, yeah, to cry. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Justin Evan Jenkins is in that mix too. Um, so that was good. But I think what people are really dialed in now is like, okay, I saw Nuri was out yesterday. Nuili at uh, right guard had a day off. Whatever. How long is that going to be? That's the thing people are going to pay attention to the most in fall camp, knowing that it's going to be very tough. As much as everyone loves Teddy around here, Teddy Prohaskin talking about him, he just hasn't played a lot of football, and it's been a tough r- runway back. And without this camp to actually practice full go, which he won't have, even if he is like available week one or week two, we got to remember it's going to take time for him to to get into, um, you know, into the operation. So I think people got to adjust their thinking a bit. Turner Corcoran is your left tackle. He's been the left tackle. He's probably going to be your left tackle for a little bit into the season, at least. Brian, if you don't think that you can necessarily count on Teddy Prohaska just because of injury and rust and all of that, can you get to seven names you think they're going to feel good at by week one? Um, it's a good question. I th- I think that'll come down to like, uh, I didn't mention him, but Henry Latofsky working the other day in in Nuri's spot at least in when we were there at, at right guard he's a guy who played almost I think 260 snaps or something like that last year and got a lot of experience it was a little rough for him at times there were some lessons learned but he's a guy who you, you're hoping in year three and really his second year of playing college football that he take makes that move so he would be a guy you could say could be uh in that possible seven um ideally you're thinking Prohaska is one of them right when he's back even though if there's rust and it's going to take some time so they're not that far away from it but there is there is still room to reach you know and and um honestly it would be great if you could have a sledge or a gatula who you just feel awesome about and a couple of those other true freshmen but you don't have to really use them much they could play here scattered maybe you do get one blowout win or something and they can get in there and get some action and still keep their red shirt and all that mm-hmm. that would be your ideal scenario because uh, it's very tough it's so tough to play that position like in your second or third year in college ball let alone your first year so um it's great to hear updates about those guys, but also you're kind of hoping it's just positive updates while they can keep growing behind the scenes. If it's going to be a good 23 Husker season, BC staying with the offense here and um, some updates that are out there. We've talked about it a lot um, with you about the wide receiving room and the question marks that are, are still there. And even yesterday we heard coach rules say that Xavier Betts was not out at practice, that he was injured. He didn't, Uh, say it was a long-term injury by any means, but he was still injured. And, you know, another young name that uh, we have yet to hear a lot about, and I've heard the fan base question, like where he's been, is Malachi Coleman. Can you speak to any of those two things about either what you've seen at practice or what you know? 
Well, um, all I know right now is that they, they weren't there yesterday and I, I don't think it's, there's not a disciplinary thing or anything like that from what I know. So it's just a, it's a deal where I, I don't want to attach things that I, I can't say for certain, but I do know that there was also a stomach bug that was sort of going through the team a little bit that people need to at least know about that. You know, you never know if that got a guy or two over there as well. So I think it's just something you got to watch through the next week. Like if a week from now we're still talking about this, obviously, then it's it's a much bigger story. If it's, you know, just a deal where a guy is injured or there's a flu or something or whatever that pops up sometimes in August, this happens and you miss a day or two of camp. That just sort of goes with the flow here. We do have a way in Nebraska about um, if someone is not v- visible to us, um, we seem to go to the worst case scenario often and that's that's I, I would a just, bad run here bc <laughs> and i under, yeah i understand it but i would just hold i would just say let's hold the phone on that it's it's camp and you know guys do get dinged up and stuff like that happen so let's see what happens uh, but the, to the part of like those are guys you want to be in your rotation or a part of the equation here and they are thin at wide receiver and i think even going into fall camp before that um, we kind of wondered about that position group because we'll always say, well, they got Billy Kemp, you got Marcus Washington, but Marcus has had a bad little run here of stuff, you know, with the broken hand. And then he gets back out there and has a lower body. Fortunately, it's not going to be as bad as I think they thought on the spot. And he's going to be back soon. Um, but after those guys, you know, they do need like a Xavier to sort of bust onto the scene or we haven't heard much about Isaiah Garcia Castaneda this mm-hmm. camp. You need somebody like that. You do need one of those freshmen to be sort of special, not like he's the top guy. Billy Kemp can be the top guy, but can you be like that fifth guy? And I do think a good walk, a good story is Alex Bullock. I think he's a, he is a very good player and um, anyone who rolls their eyes and is like, Oh, okay, here we go with the walk on receiver thing again. Um, if you watched him play at Omaha Creighton prep, that, that guy's a, he can play and his brother is uh, tearing it up on the defensive side. So it's kind of in the genes. So don't be surprised if Alex Bullock is a factor for this team too. All right, BC stay right here for me though, is if, if everybody were healthy, I mean, you could probably, um, you know, guess that the top four guys, at least just based on previous success would be Billy Kemp. It would be Xavier Betts, Isaiah. Garcia Castaneda and Marcus Washington. Those would kind of be like your top four. But after that, you know, um, we don't really know what comes next with this wide receiving room. Like who would be the fifth guy in your mind that would be after those four? Is it, is it Bullock or is it somebody else? Um, well, I mean, from what I've heard the, the most recently, and I always go with most recent Bullock's in that mix. Um, Josh Fleeks was back. And, um, you know, he missed early camp. That's an interesting sort of sidebar. We, we've got to get used to this, too. Um, around here in the past, if a guy wasn't there the first day of something or, he, you know, it was like, well, that's the end of that story. You wrote the obituary. Right. And um, that's not the case anymore. Like We got examples of this already. Tommy Hill was actually not, if you remember, in the spring was suspended for the first day or whatever. Anthony Grant was um for whatever reasons but they weren't out there immediately um they came back pretty quickly and they're in the thick of it now and uh fleeks uh sent you know we'll see if he can get in the thick of it too he obviously knows the system but he was out he was around when we were there the other day so 
um, he's back and, you know, maybe he factors into that, what you're talking about to the question, Andrew, like, you know, could he be a fourth, fifth guy? Um, you know, he hasn't put up big numbers in a while and all that. So you wonder a little bit, but he's definitely a guy who knows the system and hopefully is being a good mentor over there. BC, uh, Jeff Sims was named to the Davy O'Brien award watch list. Uh, one of 35 quarterbacks nationally to be named to that list. If Jeff Sims is a top 35 quarterback nationally, what does that look like? Like what's his path to being a top 35 ish quarterback in the country? It's uh, bringing the picks down by three or four and uh, bringing the uh, completion percentage up by four or five, something like that. Like if, if he's in that humming along and he's like a, 60 in his you know low mid 60s completion percentage but he, he's just keeping the picks down um nebraska could probably be pretty effective um and it's it's also him uh when you look at the stat sheet at the end of the regular season and you look at that little the, the part we always it's the most important part it's the it's the g category the the games category how many games did you play and availability is the biggest weapon. And right, you know, when you talk about the quarterbacks right now at Nebraska, it's awesome, I think, for fans to hear that Chubba, Chubba Purdy responded to the challenge and is having a good camp. But I do think Husker fans are also like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I like I watched it last season. And do we really um, want to see him? Yeah. Um, so Jeff Sims, I think in a lot of people's minds, um, not seeing everything that goes on over there. People are saying this guy's got to be pretty good. He's got to be savvy and efficient and not turnover prone. And he's got to be healthy. Most of all, he's got to be that guy who avoids that like two or three week stretch. Like that happened to Casey Thompson, not his fault, of course, but you're getting hammered and his O line's got to protect him too. And then also you got to be maybe uh, sharp about how you run him and you're not just running him for running sake, you know, like uh, like we have sometimes seen in the past with quarterbacks, ideally the eye back run game is a legitimate threat or something you can uh, hold steady with. So when it's third and two or three, you're not having to crash your quarterback into the line like they used to to get that first down because they can't pick it up with a tailback. So that would be a nice way to help save Jeff Sims, too. BC on the defensive side, uh, another young um, and super talented local kid in Maverick Noonan out for the year, as we found out yesterday. Uh, Mav was the a type that probably wasn't going to play a whole bunch this year, but he was still in the mix of being one of those freshmen that if, um, you know, later on in the season, if he is proving himself that maybe this defense needs a spark, it could be him. It won't be this year though. And I'm curious on how you think an injury like this will impact his development going forward. Um, the good part, if there is a silver lining is um, it wasn't described as like an ACL or whatever it is, it's like, it's going to take six months. So it's obviously serious enough, but it seems like something where hopefully a young body can pop back from it pretty quickly. And you laid it out pretty good within the question there. He was sort of on that fringe of those guys who maybe can get in up to four games and you get that experience, but maybe that's where it stops. And so I don't want to take away from that for an individual that's painful, especially if you've never dealt with like a serious injury in your life and you get to college, you're ready to roll. You have some momentum you feel like, and then you got to get your mental game back. Right. You know, after that gets stopped in place, but, um, 
I, I think he he can probably bounce back from this pretty good. And the fact that he was likely looking toward a red shirt, I would think probably eases the pain a little bit for him and where you're just like, all right, I'm going to go back to the lab and grind and I'll be ready next year. Cause that was going to be my year anyway. So I don't think this has to be something that just, uh, you know, waylays you and has you on the floor. I think, I think he'll respond to it, especially knowing that family. BC, I'm curious, um, you know, we've mentioned some freshmen that we think maybe will get some games in, but likely won't be a key part of rotations. Um, guys like Sledge, Mav, before the injury came in. Um, Matt Rule mentioned Jalen Lloyd a little bit yesterday as part of the wide receiver group as well. Is there a guy or a couple guys you think that as true freshmen are actually going to be kind of intricate parts of their unit. I mean, are we looking at the D line with like a Prince well on a Cam Lenhart, or are you looking somewhere else? Yeah, I would start there. Um, I don't completely slam the door on like a because you never know what running back if like a Quentin Ives is just like catches it and he has the goods uh, mm-hmm. at some point in camp or whatever, and and all of a sudden you know a guy gets dinged up and you throw him in there and he looks pretty good and he's like the headline for a week you, know, you never know at that position but I, I think you're starting in the right place with uh with prince will and cam who are have been out there pretty consistently with the i don't want to say the first string but the first second string type group and so they're they're obviously going to play um i wonder about eric fields um mm. i don't know if he can pop in at rover or wherever because they actually it's pretty deep um, even with the the farmer departure last week, I but he's just they love him so much. Like remember when they talked about him as a recruit, and that really hasn't changed since he got on campus. And you, even the other day, rules talking about special teams, and he's like, "You see Eric Fields," and you're like, "How do I not use him on every special teams unit?" You know, and they, they just love that guy. And so the way they speak on him makes me think. Somehow, some way, it feels like he's going to blow through that red shirt, whether it's all special teams or not. I don't know. But you wonder if there's some point in the season where, like, we got to try this guy out on, in game <laughs> action, you know, like see where it goes. So um, especially if, you know, we don't know how the season going to go. If they're like three and five or something and Eric Field is on the charge and he's already burned the red shirt, like, you know, you know how that'll go around here. People be wanting to see him out there. So. Guys like that, you got to keep in your back pocket, not knowing if it's going to happen, but definitely, it's definitely something that's possible. BC, I want to ask about player standouts all the way from the spring through the summer into fall now, because uh, we're getting close to knowing who may be wearing a single digit on their jersey throughout this football season. A couple of questions wrapped up into one. Uh, That that point right there, uh, is there somebody that has, you know, caught your eye that you're like, yeah, he'll be wearing a solo number on his Jersey. And two, it it almost seemed at one point yesterday, coach rule seemed to bite his tongue when talking about the release of the single digit Jersey numbers. (laughs) Is there anything like deep about what that was about? Did he say something he wasn't supposed to? I don't know. Um, Is single digits, the new black shirts though. That's what I'm wondering. I was just going to ask you. (laughs) Yeah. We haven't got to that question even yet. Black shirts is still like 1988, I guess. But um, let's see, guys who could be single digits if we just trust our ears on this. Gifford, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Tommy Hill might go get a zero back. I don't know. They love Tommy Hill the way he's he's come on and bought into things. 
Um, there's, let's see, Newsom probably. Yeah, he could. Ryan Reimer. Um, I don't know. He's always like that too. Eight. So I wonder if guys. <laughs> that's here's another question. If guys really love their number, right, um, yeah. are you do, you do you have to give it up to be like number three? Then you know. But I I just hope like an old lineman is like number seven or number one. That would be awesome. <laughs> um, so I don't know. You, you know, on the D line, uh, Nash Hupmacher. If you're real, if they're really going to give them out to everybody, um, Nash Hupmacher has been a leader. He's been one of the best players all off season and is honestly one of the most important parts on this team now, because if, if he goes from being that sort of fringe guy to like big time, like, okay, he's making plays behind the line of scrimmage. You're seeing that lateral movement that we didn't see as much in the past or it's improved. Um, that could be a game changer for that D line. So I wonder if a guy on the D line like him or a Ty Robinson gets a gets a single digit, and that'd be Ty kind Robinson of interesting. Wearing number three, yeah, that'd be kind of fun. <laughs> what would be more awkward to see Ty Robinson wear, or Nash Hotmarker wearing a single digit, or any offensive lineman? Um, I would say O lineman only because. A few defensive linemen have been trendsetters. I'm thinking of like, well, Malik Collins was seven, wasn't he? Um, at Nebraska. Right, yeah. I think you're right. Yep. And he actually looked pretty sweet in it. You look sweet when you're like kind of a, a badass, though. But um, <laughs> yeah, I I think alignment on that. That's a good question, though. It would look weirder on alignment to me. Mm. BC, uh, last thing from me here, as you have kind of gotten to see them operate through the first week and a half of fall camp, what do you hope ultimately gets accomplished from living in the dorms to, you know, avoiding technology to, you know, being in the presence of one another outside of brotherhood? What do you ultimately hope gets accomplished here? I think Nebraska fans want to see a team that, they're building up something that helps with like that mental toughness and belief in one another, where when something goes astray in the third quarter with eight minutes left, there's not a feeling in the stadium. Like, well, that's the thing we're going to all be talking about all week. And that's how it's been around here. And I think rule knows that he's tried to hit that right in the teeth with stuff he's done and trying to build up a belief and and first it's going to take doing it right. You're going to have to have that game. Maybe it's in Minneapolis where it is 17 to 13 you're behind going in the fourth quarter and you got to find a way and someone's got to make that play, but you're trying to build up all these little things that pile on top of each other so that it matters in those moments. I think where you're not, as he said, um, throwing helmets on the sideline and screaming at each other, but you've got each other's back and you're, you're, you're saying, we can, we've got this, we can pull this thing off. And, um, I just sense it hasn't been for lack of effort, but Nebraska football got into this realm where when one thing happens, there's, it's a snowball effect and you just sort of feel like it's, it's going downhill. And so that's what you're trying to break away from. And you're trying to do it in things with building camaraderie and, also, I think just building better dudes like we could all use like some time away. Honestly, if you said, hey, go two weeks and do something, even if it's a little rough where you're away from your phone for that part of time. I'm like all for that nowadays because uh, as, as a phone addict myself. So I just think it's good for like the, their their mental space to to get away from like the technology and all the stuff that we become so reliant on. You see, we appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much. We'll talk again next week. Yep. Thanks a lot, guys.
That's Brian Christofferson, senior writer at Husker 24-7, at Husker 24-7 BC on Twitter. Before we take this thing to break, one more time, In the Deed, the Glory Memorial Stadium, put on by Nebraska Public Media, coming your way on Sunday at 7 o'clock. It will also be streamed on Facebook Live. It is from the original 1923 stands to today's 90,000 fan venue. That's what you're learning about. You're learning about the stadium that you all know and love. What do you do on Saturday in Nebraska? Well, you're standing up. <laughs> you're standing up and you're cheering on the Cornhuskers. Uh, it features interviews with T.O., Eric Crouch, Trev Alberts, and Mike Babcock. It also reveals little-known and lost history and facts, um, honors the 100th anniversary of the stadium, and many, many other things. It's something you don't want to miss. August 13th, 7 p.m. on Nebraska Public Media. We'll take a break. Coffee and cream with Rogers and Benning on Hale Varsity Radio. It's going good. I mean, improving every day. That's that's the goal. You know, win the rep at practice and then improve every day. It's especially as a line, we're making strides together and communicating and getting better every day. Welcome back, Coffee and Cream on ESPN Radio alongside Ravi Lula, Andrew Rogers. Happy to have you with us and happy to be joined by Kevin Suits. Kevin, the sports director over at 1011 Now, and uh, he joins the show with us right now. Kevin, good morning. Good morning. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, man. It's been way too long. I, I don't think I've talked to you in like a month now. You miss me. I, I, I feel like you've missed me. I have. I have. What have you been up to? <laughs> Well, the feeling is mutual. Uh, you know, we're just busy doing the, the summer, uh, you know, good goodbye summer hello fall stuff, right? <laughs> right. Once, once Big Ten Media Days hits in Indianapolis, that's pretty much the sign. Even though it's July, it feels like you completely skip over uh, August and you go straight to September because then you start thinking football. You start thinking volleyball and then – you know, my children are getting ready to go back to school, and it's like all of a sudden everything that was good and fun about the past couple of months, you know, swimming, ball games, summertime, boom, it's done. And now we're trying to get into that routine um, of the fall season. So, Kevin, like you mentioned, super busy time of year for you. You've got, uh, I mean, both personally with your kids going back to school and professionally with everything going on. You've got Nebraska football uh, I, I know you were out at the, the Husker volleyball practice uh, yesterday. Also at high, got high school football about getting ready to go as well. Where is your focus right now? What are kind of the things where you're trying to dial in on right now? Uh, that's a great question, Robbie. Uh, the focus is not focused. It's everywhere. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. so many things happening one time. And that's what I mean about that switch from summertime to fall. Um, you know, sometimes you kind of get in a lane and you just stay there. Uh, and that would kind of speak to your question about the focus. And now it's like uh, we're on the we're on a seven lane highway and we're trying to, to focus on high school football. And we're trying to give some attention to Nebraska volleyball. And we're trying to keep up with Matt Rule and the gang and go to those practices. So uh, it, it's a big transition, uh, obviously trying to keep up with Matt Rule and and keep our finger on the pulse of what's happening with this team and and try to get a, a sense of what it might look like once they start playing games later this month. And then, uh, oh, by the way, you can't forget that, you know, volleyball day in Nebraska is like three weeks away, four weeks away. And wow. you got to start really zoning in on uh, the volleyball team and what it might look like. They're going to be really, really good, by the way. I'm excited about 
what this fall could look like for John Cook and his team. And then, yeah, you know, all these teams, all the high school football teams started practicing this week. In fact, some started uh, two weeks ago, um, a week ago Monday, because there are a – I don't know if you guys remember this, but there there's week zero games, and it seems like there's even more week zero high school football games this year than I can remember. And they have involve a number of teams from our area, uh, our Lincoln area schools. You know, we even have a city matchup in week zero between Lincoln Pius X and Lincoln Northwest. So, you know, we're going to be covering high school football games a week from Friday. And to say that on <laughs> August 9th, that is nuts. That is insane. That, that's, that's crazy. Uh, before we get into some of that high school football talk, Kevin, I'd, I'd like to go back on what you were talking about with the volleyball team because, uh, you know, we heard John Cook speak to the football team in their little mini TV series uh, that they're putting on. But also, you mentioned them being really, really good, and it has me thinking a couple of things. One, it, it's they're a pretty new group, right? A lot of newcomers, um, a lot of new faces, talent, but still new. And then on the other side of that, you know, I think about where Nebraska has – you know, been sitting in the Big Ten, and if they can be that premier team once again, because it seems like they've always been chasing something ever since their last title. Yeah, they can't slay that Wisconsin dragon, and they've struggled to slay the Texas dragon if you go back a couple of years, um, the 2021 season. Uh, so it's like, what? How, how do they get to the next level? How do they get over the hump, so to say? And I maybe the answer is just to roll the roster over because John Cook is such a recruiter and this program has such uh, high esteem. You know, they have such a high standard. So perhaps that's the answer. And, you know, talking to Harper Murray earlier this week about, like, what's the level of concern with the youth on this team? And she's like, what are you talking about? Uh, so, so, like, from the outside of the program looking in, like, there's a lot of young people, and that seems to have a negative connotation. And for Harper and her classmates, it's like, no, this is almost a positive because, as she told me, they have fresh eyes. They don't have some of these uh, maybe mental hurdles that the, the, the returning players might have about, oh, no, it's Wisconsin. They don't have any of that. They've never lost to Wisconsin. so they And they have a very fun personality to them. So – that's what excites me about this Nebraska volleyball season. And don't forget, one of the beauties of college athletics is that the roster turns over and that there are new players that come in every four every year and then classes go out every four years. And I think sometimes as fans, we've lost a little bit of that because of COVID and uh, transfers, that there just seem to be some athletes that stay and they play five, six, and in a few rare instances, seven years. But this Nebraska volleyball team is maybe a reminder that, you know, college athletics, you get to find new favorite players, and you get to see a different product every year. And I think that they're really going to embody this because I could see three freshmen for Nebraska volleyball this year. Kevin, want to move over to Nebraska football. Obviously, we've had a decent amount of media availability uh, so far here in fall camp at a couple instances where the media could go and, and view practice for a little bit. Just through the first week and a half, 
is there anything either from uh, the practices that you've been out to or uh, just from the media availability that's really stuck out to you uh, through this first fall camp for Matt Rule? I think the only thing that's really stuck out to me is how active these coaches are, and I'm sure you guys have heard that from so many other guests that you've had on your show. Uh, they, they don't miss an opportunity to correct, and it doesn't matter if it is one of the uh, top guys on the team or a walk-on who's just trying to find some way to get on the field this year. These coaches are hands-on in constantly talking and if you hear Matt Rule in some of those cut-ups, you know, it sounds like he's a little bit hoarse, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I think part of that, it's not just him. I think some of his assistants are that way as well. And I think some of that is because they are instructing all of the time. So, Robbie, I don't know if that's a sexy answer for you or not because it doesn't really talk to the, the individual players or a group. But my overall takeaway is just continuing to watch this staff and how they are so involved with every player and with every single rep during practice. Kevin, uh, quickly here, got about a minute or two. Uh, I mentioned I wanted to get to high school football, and uh, we've seen it in full swing down in Omaha. We've seen, you know, um, at least I've been following your stuff and uh, what's going on up there in Lincoln. But who, who impresses you uh, out of the Lincoln schools, and, and who can maybe make a run at a state title this year? Thanks for asking about the high school guys up here. You know, uh, I, I still think Lincoln is falling is a little bit behind the Omaha area high school football wise again uh, this year, and I don't really know quite yet how to answer that. I think that it's kind of a hodgepodge because I think you have a really good player in Dash Bauman at Lincoln East. I think you have some new energy in an awesome first year head coach of Grant Trainowitz at Lincoln Southwest. I think the best overall team in Lincoln might be Lincoln Southeast. I'm going to go visit their practice either today or tomorrow. I know that they have uh, some pretty good talent up front. They have some nice pieces on the edge. So um, check back in with me in about a week when we can get a a bigger picture of what city football looks like in Lincoln this year. But right now, I don't know that there's one team that I can say, like, this is the best team in Lincoln and you got to check them out. Outside of maybe Parkview Christian, they're the defending six-man champs, baby. Okay, okay. uh, I'm going to throw a little six-man love in there. So, you know, if you're asking me about Lincoln football, hey, we we got a state champ in our city, and it's a Parkview Christian. Kevin, we appreciate your time this morning, man. Thanks so much, and uh, I will follow up in a couple of weeks. All right, sounds good. You guys be well. You too, man. That's Kevin Suits at Kevin Suits, S-J-U-T-S on Twitter. He's the sports director over at 1011 now. Uh, some things I still want to get to, Robbie, right. are those athlete diaries. Absolutely. That we've been uh, compiling. And uh, I've got four that I want to share, four that have details that, you know, nobody thinks about but the person. Sure. So we'll do that when we come back. We'll also have Damon Benning uh, coming up at 9 o'clock, and then we'll play Gone in 60 Seconds, presented by Dingman's at 9.45. A short break. We'll be back with The Athlete Diaries next. Coffee and Cream with Rodgers and Benning on Hale Varsity Radio. I feel like... Yeah, everybody, um, they making me better uh, every day. Uh, we getting out there competing. Ain't nobody taking it light. Uh, yeah, they've they been helping me uh, get better. 
I could hang out with Malcolm Hartfrog. I really, yeah. I really think yeah. I could. He had me smiling throughout that whole uh, that whole little press conference. Welcome back, Coffee and Cream on ESPN Radio. Uh, we are live on Twitter, live on YouTube, the Herd at Sports YouTube page. We'll be on KFOR in Lincoln starting at 9 o'clock. But as I teased, I wanted to get into some athlete diaries because we talked a little bit about conference realignment already today. And, um, you know, as much as this is fun to talk about, it also has an impact on people that, you know, kind of get left behind here because it really is all about football. Mm-hmm. You're making these moves because uh, the big money grab is how can we enhance or, or build the biggest, baddest football conference alive? And the people that get left behind are the soccer players of the world, the baseball, softball players, the track and cross country runners, ju- the, the other Olympic sports that are out there mm-hmm. that for lack of a better term, we're forgotten about to begin with, uh, but now are just really feeling the the massive burden that's left on them. Avery Howard joins us now. She's just kind of out here at the Pinnacle Bank Championship today working with our Herd at Sports team. And I'm like, you know, I did talk to you the other day, so we might as well just bring you on and just, you know, plop you down in a chair. Avery, good morning. Thanks for having me. So, okay, what I kind of asked, and I asked four different athletes to give me their perspective on the conference realignment, um, how it affects uh, the smaller sports, how if you were still playing right now, um, if you were playing soccer at Maryland and had to travel to USC for a match, like how that would weigh on you, um, what would the travel burden be like, the school burden, um, the prep, you know, does your body take a toll just by flying there? Or in a lot of ways, uh, you wouldn't bus all the way there, but on longer road trips, soccer is a sport that buses. Baseball is a sport that buses Mm -hmm. unless you're a big program. You don't get the charter flights. I mean, you may get a commercial flight, but you don't get the charter planes. You don't get the comfort and the the meals that come along with having a lot of money in your sport. And uh, you kind of, you kind of started it all off with, you think we're actually going to revert back before we actually move too far forward? Potentially. I, I'm, I think there's going to be a situation where we go so far one direction, and I understand why we have to do it for media rights and money at the end of the day. Like, you can't survive without it. I understand that. But I think we're already a little bit uncomfortable with it. And who knows? Maybe it plays out, and we'll surprise ourselves, and we'll somewhat enjoy it. But I think we were already, when some of these moves were happening, Oklahoma, Texas, for example, everyone was like, oh, I kind of just wish we would go back to the good old days of the regional conferences. And now that we have what's going to be a power four, mm-hmm. I feel like there will be eventually this – I don't know how many years it will be, but I think we're going to kind of long for this wanting to have realignment again. Um, I kind of told you this, but also a kind of a point that I left out is when we talk about attendance for even these football games, the reason why I think we have such great attendance in certain areas is because also you can travel to those rivalry matches or even just other games in Mm -hmm. general. Mm -hmm. That's why watching the games that we love to watch are so important because one, you can get there and also regionally, they make sense. I'm not going to argue with a Washington state football team because I, I, I don't have anything there with being in the Midwest. So um, I think that's something that's, even though we're talking about football, like alone, the attendance I think will be interesting. Sure. Home games will be fine, but are we going to have away crowds like we used to? Are we going to have some of that fire um, between fan bases? Cause it's going to take some time to build up those rivalries again. But I think the whole thing that you're talking about with those smaller sports, when we're talking about traveling, you hit it on the head. Like we're talking about football that has the, nice traveling amenities but Mm -hmm. every sport that you listed off 
does not have that. Like there's multiple days having to be put into place to get there. And if I'm Maryland going from the East coast to the West coast, that's playing a game on a Thursday, Sunday, I maybe get home. Let's just say, hopefully they get a night flight. They get home by Sunday night late. There's a time change in there. Monday's an off day, but Monday's not really an off day because technically you have PT and you have classes and, oh, maybe you want to get groceries at one point, some somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Well, you need the off time. Yeah. And then if you're going back, let's say, I mean, they're scheduling smart. You'll do USC, UCLA in the same weekend, but holy cow, USC, UCLA in the same weekend. Good luck. (laughs) So there's just a lot of things in there that like when you talk about traveling for a smaller program, like this is not a football program that gets to take. Well, it just weighs on your mental health. Yes. And right now I can understand how it feels like the other sports are just being forgotten about. Yeah. Because the NCAA is making these changes for the sake of football and football only. And they're not taking into account all the travel and things like that. You brought up another good point, too, when talking USC, UCLA. And I think it was something that Coach Rule had said, too, the other day about the conditions that teams would be playing in. Uh, Because if you go play a baseball game in the Midwest – like you could be playing in 45 degree weather. I remember covering Omaha baseball games when I, uh, you know, worked in, on the video team there. And I'm like, what are we doing right now? Like, why are yeah. we playing baseball in 45 degree weather? Well, it's the same as if you're a UCLA or USC team that did you sign up? Like if you were a recruit and I went to go play baseball at USC, did I sign up to go play baseball in 45 degree weather? No, no. I signed up to play in warm weather. It's the same approach that Ed Service takes with Creighton baseball. The reason Creighton doesn't go play exhibition games down in Florida, down in Texas, over in California, it's because he knows his guys aren't going to be playing in those conditions throughout the season. Now you're going to have to start scheduling those games, and who knows how that could affect a player because for me, if I could play in the same conditions all the time, it would be great. I'd be golden. But if I had to play in warm conditions and then I went back to cold, I had to revert back. Now I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just want to be in the warm weather again. I can't play in these cool conditions. I'm stiff. I'm thinking about other things. And boom, you're, you're not the goal at hand is not the same anymore. I think also to add on to that, I kind of got this perspective from Mizzou's head football coach, Eli Mm. Drinkwitz. He said, you know, some of the reasons why these players decide to go to a certain school, one is because they're usually from around that area and want to go somewhere close. Um, But they also want their families to be able to watch them. However, also, I think when you have a lot of West Coast or East Coast or even Southern teams, like a lot of those kids grew up in that area. So I think, yeah, you can say kids need to rise to the occasion and they need to be competitive. And if, if they want to play college sports, they'll do what they need to do. But if I'm choosing to go play baseball at UCLA, it's because of the competition I think I'm going to get playing an Oregon, playing a Washington, playing your other schools like that, your USC's in that conference. And also same for like your SEC schools, I guess your Big Ten schools like UCLA and USC. Are we doing their baseball teams disservice by bringing them in the Big Ten? By, like you said, we're not, they're not used to that climate. They chose that place for a reason. I understand it's something I have to get used to. But then also you think about beyond just your baseball team, you're thinking about your soccer teams, your tennis teams, mm-hmm. play, people mm-hmm. that they play these certain sports because of the climates they grew up in. And you want to talk about the mental health aspect, talk about, you know, all the travel and all that stuff. But how does it feel already to kind of feel like a decision was made without you? I think that's something we're not yeah, we're talking about how it's a football decision, but we're also talking about the mental health of when we get there, it might be hard on them. I think it's probably already a little bit frustrating to think that there was decisions made for you that you, like Coach Ringwood said, did we even ask them? 
Have mm-hmm. we asked anyone outside of just the meteorites that are making the decisions? Have we asked anyone outside the people that are paying the bills? I understand that's what has to happen, but like they're not the ones playing in the conditions. They're not the ones traveling. They're not the one doing soccer or soccer school. They're not the one doing school on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. while they're trying to do all this. So I really think he brought up a good point. Like, why did we not consider asking before we make all these changes? Avery, I'm curious. Uh, I think I think we all agree here on the challenges that this presents, especially to the non-football sports. Have you thought at all about, because there's, I mean, at this point, you're not putting the genie back in the bottle, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, we are past that point. Is there some potential solutions that you've been thinking about that you said, okay, maybe this might work. Have, have you gotten to that point of it yet? Honestly, not really. I was telling Andrew this, that my biggest thing to athletes now is you kind of have to like, this is obviously for so many of them. Yes. You're there to go to school, but you chose this place because of that sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to find something during school that is not your sport 24 seven, because like obsessing over anything else in life is unhealthy. But then when it comes to college sports, we like try to justify it. Mm-hmm. And I felt like me as a student athlete alone, I became a better player and person. I feel like during season when I had something else to pay attention to or to be passionate about. And so I think there has to be some way of a healthy balance for these athletes to find that instead of knowing that they're going to have to play two games on a weekend if you're certain sports or one game on a weekend and then the rest of your week is travel and school. Maybe, I mean, I know a lot of teams are good at this, but when they're out and about, you have to find a way to let them release and go do things, go see where they're at, like make it some sort. If you're going to go East Coast, West Coast, then I would say coaches have got to find a way to incorporate something about making it entertaining. Um, And I know some coaches are really good at that, but it's going to be really strenuous. And I think there's just got to be time for these athletes to release somehow so i haven't really got there yet but i know that was something that was really important for me in my mental while being an athlete and i was only traveling to the dakotas so (laughs) now uh, (laughs) well that can be challenging mentally (laughs) you're right grand forks Uh, is no joke we gotta we gotta wrap this thing up but when i was uh talking about this with robbie too I i thought the only front end solution that could really work is sports have to work with academics in the case of hey, you may just send me the video lesson of Monday's 8 a.m. class because if I get back at 7.30, you can't expect me to go to class and be aware yeah. and be present mm-hmm. physically in the class like you just can't. So yeah. I, I that's the only solution I, I can see I right now. I think the last point real fast is if ES, or gosh, NCA is going to make that decision like and you have to understand these smaller sports that don't have as much money, it needs to be something that they can say, okay, Um, there are certain programs that can't afford to have a third coach, (laughs) but we will make sure that every single team that has to do this will have a paid tutor. Mm -hmm. They will have an extra, um, you know, sports psychologist, because that is a mandatory thing next year. And then maybe a nutritionist, like those three things have to be added onto the staff somewhere. If NCA is going to make that decision, because how are these kids supposed to take on schoolwork? If, I mean, I understand we have great advisors out there, Omaha great advisors. They were a phone call away, but sometimes it's nice to have them in person it's up to them sometimes because you have so many schedules to bobble when you're yep. you know, playing a sport and stuff. So if that's the decision they're going to make, I also hope that they are taking into account having extra personnel on staff because like we know, baseball can barely have a paid third coach. So mm-hmm. yeah. um, at certain places. So I think as long as they have people in place to help these athletes, if they're going to make these changes, then that's a step forward. Avery, we appreciate the time this morning. Thanks for just stopping over (laughs) on a humbug. Uh, We are talking to Damon Benny when we come back out of the break. So stick around for that. The nine o'clock hour awaiting on coffee and cream.
Coffee and Cream with Rogers and Benning on Hale Varsity Radio. Hey, welcome back, guys. We tell you all the time to get Storm Chasers tickets. All the time. And I hope you got tickets to last night's game. Oh, man. Did you see the catch from John Raven Center? It was incredible. That's incredible. a Sports Center top 10 play. It, it should be. Absolutely. It was. He's running back on the ball, hits off of his glove, bounces off his shoulder. His glove is against the wall. It bounces <laughs> off his glove again. And then he catches it with his bare mm-hmm. hand. Incredible catch, incredible concentration, and a great reason to go out to see the Omaha Storm Chasers. They're in town the rest of the week and through Sunday, the 13th. Tonight, we sat, We had a dog running around here at Epitome <laughs> yeah, Bank did. Championship. <laughs> and you found us so- distracted during our interview oh, yeah. with DB. That was the reason. I was like, he's a puppy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> going, go out to Warner Park tonight, and you can be like me. And say, he's a puppy all night because it is Bark in the Park night over. Although, at the- ask somebody to pet their dog first. Yes, always ask Unless first. It's, it's like the stray dog that comes up to us. Yeah, always ask first to pet the dog, but it's Bark in the Park night at the Omaha Storm Chasers, 705 first pitch. Get on out there uh, tonight, and you've got the Storm Chasers here for the rest of the week as well. Now, and you know, the other thing about that, too, is people may, like, really get overly infatuated by the catch, but that type of muscle memory and just, like, you know, body movements and things like that, it's not uncommon for a baseball player to pull off. And it's because you will constantly see ball players just tossing a ball in the air, one hand to the other, or like I was telling you before the show, you roll it back, you hit it off your bicep, then you hit the top of your hand, you hit your forearm, you catch it. Like that's a little like muscle memory game uh, that you do to pass the time in baseball, just because you, there's a lot of downtime. You're good at it. Right. And so when I watch that play happen, I'm like, Oh my gosh. It's like he's using what he does in the dugout just yeah. for fun, just to pass the time. And it's actually happening in front of us, in front of our eyes right now. He, he's using what he what he once learned, yeah. and now it's just a, a thing of muscle memory for him. Well, because there's so many like random things that can happen during a baseball game, it's kind of funny how the silly little things that baseball players do, like in the dugout or at practice or whatever – kind of come to be useful at certain points. You know, we used to play this game. We'd call it uh, fungo. basketball. We call it fungo oh. golf. We would take, we take fungo bats or whatever, or sometimes we would just use regular bats and we would pick a point on the outfield fence and mm-hmm. we'd say, Hey, you've got three strokes as par to get to this point. And you had to hit the ball. And, and listen, it's a silly game that mostly the pitchers were playing to waste time while everybody else was doing real work. But you know, if you get in a situation, you have a right. better feel for the bat and bat control and where you're trying mm-hmm. to place the ball and things and like that. And it's all about it's all about superstition in baseball. It's sure. all about um, it's all about oh, how do I even explain it? Because like when I played, it was like everything had to happen in order. It's all about routine. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of baseball players are very OCD. Like it, it, when I'm in the outfield, it, you have to have like, you know, 10 sunflower seeds against the left cheek. Like, you know, as you're just sitting there and like it's just those little points about a baseball mm-hmm. game that um, keeps you from feeling like something's going to go wrong yeah and so that's why you see baseball players pick it up or play that uh 
you know, it, there's that bunt game where you like toss a ball, you get a bunt, and if you field it cleanly, it's an out, or um, you switch roles or things like that. Like, call it like knickknacks, whatever it is. Like, it's just the little yeah. bits of, of baseball that you don't get unless you're a player. For sure. And, you know, it kind of goes to what you're talking about with the, you know, you got to have certain amount of things to feel like you're in right position. I think some of it, obviously some of it's superstition. Some of it's like a baseball OCD thing because there's so much repetition and everything like that. But some of it's like a control what you can control to get yourself in the right headspace. Like mm. if you need 10, tons and 10 sunflower seeds in your mouth, to feel like you're in the right headspace. That's an easy fix. That's, right. a, that's a very doable thing. And why would you mess with that if it's something that gets you in the place you need to be mentally? It, does it seem silly? Sure, absolutely. But if it's not a you know, that's not a hard do. That's not a hard thing to, to accomplish for a, for a lot of the time. So, you know, uh, people look at it and be like, oh, baseball players are kind of silly. And let's be honest. We they, are. They are. Um, they, they can be for sure. Absolutely are. But it's with a sport of that nature where there's so much routine and there's so much um, inactive time, mm -hmm. whether it's between games. Why do you think you saw Florida at the College World Series? I think it was Florida meditating on their yeah. backs in front of the dugouts. It's because that's what they do. Yeah. That's what they have to do to feel like they're in the right headspace and, and that they won't be, it, well, you're not going to tick off the baseball gods. <laughs> and they probably did it once and things went well. And so they kept doing it, right? That's how and it just, mm -hmm. hey, we, we were in a good headspace there. And maybe it starts off as like kind of a reasonable thing. And then after that, you go, hey, this is just what we do now. And that's how a lot of those traditions start. And, you know, if it works, it's hard to blame them. And like I said, hey. it really doesn't matter if there's science or whatever behind it or even a good reason. If it gets you in the right headspace, that's the part that matters. Now, I want to get to this because I know you want to get to this and I, I want to make sure we get to it for our, for our audience. I've been hearing a lot of stuff um, with this Creighton, with this Creighton basketball team mm -hmm. and this new roster. Yeah. Um, and one thing I've really been hearing is Shireman shooting the ball more confidently, which sure. I didn't know was like, a, like, was that even possible? <laughs> Could he shoot the ball more confident, confidently after throwing up 30 footers and, in, in basketball games. Um, and then this isn't anything new, but you know, the staff does a really good job of minimizing weaknesses and maximizing strengths. And I've been yeah. seeing that a lot in the young guys in the Jason greens of the world, watching um, his highlights at power forward last game. Mm -hmm. I saw it a little bit with uh, Josiah Dotzler. Mm -hmm. Like they were talking about, Hey, he'll probably red shirt. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, his defense, is something to be desired maybe we don't have him redshirt and he comes off the bench and then you have you know the Stephen Ashworths of the world which is you know he's an interesting case for me because I could only watch the highlights mm -hmm. I didn't have the package to to watch you know the full games uh, but what I saw from him was a lot of movement without the ball yeah and you know, when he was at Utah State, it was, no, the ball's in his hands. Yep. He's going to facilitate. Not that he can't facilitate, but I think what Creighton is maximizing out of him is his movement without the ball, is opening up space on the floor, getting him the ball on the second or third pass while the play's developing. Mm -hmm. And now you have a point guard with the ball in his hands for the first time that could either find Ryan Kalkbrenner, could find the open shooter in the corner. And I just think, you know, it, it's good coaching at the end of the day, and that's what Coach McDermott's all about. Um, but, you know, overall, I think what I've been hearing from Creighton is good. Yeah, I, I think Ashworth is really interesting because obviously the – big departure that everyone was talking about. The most unexpected one was Ryan Nemhard from last year's team to this year's. And obviously Ryan Nemhard's a really talented guy, 
but it, it's possible that Steven Ashworth is a better fit for what Creighton wants to do for the rest of the roster as well, especially now that you have Trey Alexander and Baylor Shireman. And he looks good. Trey looks really good right now. Those are two guys that are going, that are better with the ball in their hands. And when you had Ryan Nemhard, who was a very ball dominant point guard, that's just his style. And Creighton did their best to work within that style. It kind of took away from, I think the ceiling of Baylor Shireman and of Trey Alexander. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a point guard in Steven Ashworth who is almost as good off the ball as he is on the ball, and it opens things up for you in a way that now Trey Alexander can have more time on ball and be a little bit more ball dominant. And um, not just do I think that's better for the team, but it's also better for his pro prospects, maybe showing that he can be a primary ball handler a little bit. Baylor Shireman was a, is a great passer. Um, take some chances that maybe you don't feel great about sometimes, but that's you take the good with the bad there. But really good vision, really good passer, and facilitate. I mean, was the primary point guard before he came to Creighton. So allowing him to have the ball in his hands a little bit more, it's honestly just harder to defend when you've got three guys that can consistently make plays for themselves or others instead of knowing, hey, everything's probably going to come out of a high ball screen for Ryan Nemhard, or everything's going to come from Ryan Nemhard in transition or whatever the case may have been the last couple of years. It's way harder to defend. It's harder to get your chemistry right at first on the front end, but on the back end, so much harder to defend. If you look at I, what I believe was the best Creighton team of my lifetime, which was the 2020 team that ended up winning the Big East regular season title, um, before the, the season got canceled. Right. You had Marcus Zagorowski, Tyshawn Alexander, Mitch Ballack as three guys mm. that were shot creators for themselves and for others that were good passers. You could trust all of them with the ball in their hands. I think they're getting close to replicating that type of system here. And if these guys can gel, you're going to be in really, really good shape. That was my biggest takeaway from the Bahamas. Uh, great points. That is the three-game sort of like series uh, Creighton down in the Bahamas. Uh, a little vacation. Yeah, a little vacation. Why not? I would vacation love with a little basketball yeah, sprinkled in. And you know what? When you're winning all three games too, it's, go. it's a good vacation. Why not? <laughs> all right, we'll take a short break. When we come back, a new game, but it's gone in 60 seconds. The new game within gone in 60 seconds. We will play that next. The time it took you to get your popcorn, 3.2 minutes. The time it took you to upload this podcast, 2.5 minutes. Time Damon has to go rapid fire. Oh, let's go, let's go, go. 60 seconds. Oh, it's rapid fire. It's gone in 60 seconds with coffee and cream. But on Hail Varsity Radio. Uh, top tier open on the show. Gone in 60 seconds. BP will not be playing today. So Rodney and I are going to do a split here. And, and the reason for that is um, there's a new idea to the game. So it's Gone in 60 Seconds presented by Dingman's Collision Center. Dingman's your one-stop shop for all your car needs. Dingman's has some pretty fantastic give back programs as well that they support. And, and you know, the coolest part about the whole thing is that... You get to choose who Dingman's donates to. Like, I don't know another company that like really 
operates that way, but mm-hmm. that's that's the Dingman's way. And uh, one of the programs in particular that uh, you can give back to is Epic for Girls, which focuses on leveling the playing field for girls of color in sports. It serves as the umbrella organization to amplify sports programming, call attention to issues of inequity in sports, and addresses incidences of violence occurring in the world of youth sports in Omaha. Uh, It's all sports too. It's not just limited to just one. It's basketball, volleyball, soccer, dance, softball, gymnastics, you name it. Epic for girls is there to support it. Uh, Show Dingman some love. And if you have a problem with your car or need an oil change or just anything, go to Dingman's collisions center. Okay. Ravi, here is the game. Mm -hmm. So we are going to give the colleges of the skill position guys on current NFL teams. So that's the quarterback, the running backs, two wide receivers and tight ends. We'll have 60 seconds to do show to do show. So (laughs) I'm telling you, words have been difficult today. Going to do show today. (laughs) So I'm going to keep time on my phone. Normally we have Shane back in the studio uh, showing us the time, Mm -hmm. but this is just in order to keep us honest. So would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? Why don't you go first? Why don't you show me the way? Okay. So are you going to give? I can read them off for you. I'll I'll give one of my teams first. So I'm going to hit start right when you start talking about the teams. Because in... By the time you're done, 15, 20-ish seconds should have passed. Yeah. You should have 40 seconds to be able to name an NFL team. All right. All right. You ready? Ready? Go. QB, Alabama. Running back, Penn State. Wide receiver, LSU. Wide receiver, LSU. Tight end, South Carolina. Alabama quarterbacks are Mac Jones. Who's the running back now in Carolina? We just got there, Miles Sanders. It's got it's Carolina. It is Carolina. <laughs> well done, sir. All right, that took me thirty seconds. Well done. Okay, okay. So there you go. Now, now that the game's right. kind of warmed up, right. wide receiver LSU. Who are the wide receivers in Carolina? Terrence Marshall and DJ Clark. <laughs> and then Hayden Hurst. Terrence is, Marshall. Hayden Hurst is the tight end. Okay, 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 okay. All right, there we go. All right, you ready for yours? Uh, as ready as I'll ever be. All right, Shane. Music again, please. And go. Quarterback, Eastern Illinois. Running back. Raiders. Ah, I was going to try to Jimmy try to throw you off. baby. <laughs> See, you can basically name this off just for the Raiders. All right, let me go again. Let me go again. All right, all right. Let me go again. Okay. okay. I wanted to throw Shane a bone there with his Raiders. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Here we go. Ready, Shane? I'm going to trick you here. Okay. Quarterback, Oklahoma. Okay. Running back, Nebraska Kearney. Wide receiver one, Texas A&M. Wide receiver two, Penn State. Tight end, Washington. Okay, so Oklahoma, we've got Kyler Murray. We've got, I believe, I think I'm going to go, I'm going to go Tampa Bay with Baker Mayfield. Yeah, that is correct. Nice work. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. So I'm I'm starting to notice a trend here. The trend is when you recognize the quarterback. Yes. You can easily narrow down the school. Yeah. So that was my philosophy. So here's what I, here's what I did is with the teams that I picked, 
I made sure that every one of them had multiple quarterbacks that mm-hmm. were playing in the NFL. That is correct. So I wanted to make it a little bit tricky on mm-hmm. it because the easiest way is be like, okay, I know where that quarterback okay. is school. Give me one more. Okay. And after this, if I get it too soon, we are going to take out the quarterback position. Oh, that's tricky. <laughs> I'm not going to get any. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. then and then when when you have, let's just say 15 seconds left. We'll throw the quarterback okay. in. That's if like, we need it. okay. That's the lifeline. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. All right. Here we go. Quarterback Cal running back, Iowa state wide receiver. This Cal. is the jets. It is not the jets wide receiver. Come on. USC tight end, Iowa. Cal, Iowa state. Cal for wide receiver, USC for wide receiver, Iowa for tight end. There's only one more Cal quarterback that's I know. a starter. But I'm trying to think. Who did you say was the running back? Iowa State. Oh, so you're saying David Montgomery. That's what confused me. Okay. Because when you go Cal, you can go Rogers and you can go Iowa State, which is Brees Hall. That's why I did this one. <laughs> Okay, so you went Montgomery over Gibbs, so it is the Detroit Lions. It okay. is the Detroit Lions. Okay, so this seems pretty easy. Now let's go without the quarterback. Oof. We're going to make this a little bit more difficult. This is going to be a lot harder. <laughs> you ready to go? <laughs> yeah. All right, let's start this thing off. Go okay. ahead, Shane. Running back, Purdue. Wide receiver, West Alabama. Wide receiver, Alabama. Tight end Notre Dame. Oh, well, there's a big clue in there with the obscure school. Yeah, I, I, I don't have it though. Um, so Alab, who was the running back? Alabama. Purdue. Oh, Purdue. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Alabama and West Alabama were the were that the is receivers. correct. Oh my gosh. I'm trying to think of who has an Alabama wide receiver right now. Like half the league. Um, <laughs> oh, Ten God. seconds. I'm going to throw in Alabama as the quarterback. Alabama. Uh, I'm going to go uh, New England. It is not New England. It is the Miami Dolphins. Oh, that's right. So running back Raheem Mostert went to Purdue. That's right. I should have known that he was a Niner. And uh, Tyree Kill is the West Alabama boy. I totally spaced that he was from West Alabama. Mm-hmm. That was just gone from my brain. I think Tyree Kill. I think Chiefs. That's the only place. I <laughs> <laughs> okay, throw me one. All right, this is I'm no, ready. No QBs. No QBs. All right, here. Oh, we wait, go. hold on. I got to get the time. I'm ready. All right, go. Running back, Virginia Tech. Wide receiver, Maryland. Wide receiver, Notre Dame. Tight end, Notre Dame. Running back, Virginia Tech, you said? Yep. Maryland, wide receiver. Okay, Mm -hmm. next one. Notre Dame, wide receiver. And Notre Dame, tight end. has to be more than Diggs that came out of Maryland. <laughs> there is. It is not Diggs. Wide <laughs> receiver, Notre Dame. Where's Will Fuller playing? Not Will Fuller. Jeez. How much time do you have left? 
Ten seconds. All right. Quarterback, Ohio State. It's not Houston. Hmm. Okay, don't tell me, though. You're going to kick yourself. <sighs> the Bears. It is the Bears. <laughs> it is your Chicago Bears. Why would I Bears? think you would not choose the Bears <laughs> the whole time? It is your Chicago Bears. Yeah, that that would DJ be... Moore is the Maryland. That was great. That was probably the best one. Oh yeah, Shane, you can uh, <laughs> shut it. Clay, Clay Poole so was the last night. Game last night I was putting together the the list, and I'm like, well, I'm not going to do the Niners because he'd expect that, and he'd probably expect I'd do the Bears. So they weren't even on my brain. <laughs> the only, the literally, the only reason I did the Bears was because there's multiple Ohio State starters. Mm. And I was like, you know what? I want multiple starters for quarterback was my criteria for choosing. All right. Let me do one more with you. All right. One more. We'll try to fit in one more each if we can, but I got one more here. All right. All right. We don't need music, Shane. We're good. I know we're running close to time. 90 seconds. I'm going to start the clock here. Ready, Robbie? Okay. Um, Texas A&M is the quarterback. Running back is Alabama. Wide receiver one, Clemson. Wide receiver two, Arkansas. Tight end, Maryland. Oh, that's uh, the Titans. That a boy. I'll say. I was like, Tex- there's only one Texas A&M <laughs> starter. That is our guy Ryan Tannehill. Good right. old, nice work, man. Nice good work, old Tannehill. So yeah, I think the way to go there is to start with the RBs. Yes, and then the work back to the quarterbacks. The quarterbacks, that's the giveaway. Are a giveaway. That yeah. is the giveaway. All right. Can the, you get uh, one in in thirty seconds? Uh, no, but what I can do is tell you about Dyer Law in 30 seconds, Shane. Dyer oh, Law nice. is the place to go if you have a personal injury claim. If you are um, hurt in a personal injury accident, you can count on the Dyer Law team to provide you with a helping hand when you need it, no matter what you're dealing with. 402-393-7529 or visit Dyer.Law to chat with trusted professionals. That'll do it for today's show. For Robbie Lula, Sasha Durgan, who's out here producing remote. Shane, who's doing his thing back at the studio. I'm Andrew Rogers. Thanks for joining us. Coffee and cream again. Coming your way tomorrow.